Now, the way that's written, like uh, celebrate. Sounds fantastic. Yeah. D-Day. But there's a flip side to it. Because it's a fine, fine line between freedom and anarchy. All right. Welcome to this edition of the Black Line Podcast, Mike. One of these days, Doug, look, you I can't get, get over. Dan- you got to get up and dance. One of these days, I can't. I can't get over. Hey, look, I know I have no rhythm. Okay, I yeah. can't get over the the space that you're in, man. It looks great. Oh, thank you. I mean, great. I think I think uh, Room Raider would give you. You know, I think you. I think you got a solid eight out of ten from Room Raider. Okay, cool, cool. So, solid, solid eight out of ten. I like I like the seven cent sign up there. Thank you. Is that is that Coming supposed together. to be a Mike Donnelly basketball bobblehead in in the back there, or is that somebody else? Um, so I'm not going to explain why, but yes, I I was uh, my my buddies growing up called me Teen Wolf, so ah. it was a groomsman gift from one of my high school buddies. Gotcha, gotcha. There yeah. you go. There you go. See, see, I, I I've talked to you all this time, and I never knew that. I never knew that Teen yeah. Wolf. There you go. <laughs> let, let, Great. Let, let's change Damn the it. byline. Damn it. <laughs> let's change the byline here to uh, Teen Wolf. Hashtag Teen Wolf. Yeah. Uh, I bet that George Thomas uh, habit. I picked it up. <laughs> hashtag. <laughs> hashtag. Uh, Mike, uh, base, do you feel like baseball season's over? I do, and I'm bummed, man. Like, See, it, I feel like it never really started. I feel like, like there was a I, it, tournament. It, it, I, I know. I know. I mean, it was, yeah, definitely wasn't. It, it, it's a shame that the Nationals got the short end of that stick. Um, but, you know, I don't know that you can call the Dodgers the uh, World Series champs, but I, 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 they're the, they're all the kinds of arguments. Yeah, the 2020 right. tournament yeah, champs. I like that. All right, well, we got, we got a lot going on. Um, so we're about to jump into the uh, into the big news segment now, just so we're for the record, obviously the big news, like if we were going to really talk about the big news, the big news is we got uh, the end of an election, or at least hopefully the end of an election coming up in five days. But um, for everybody's sanity, we have found something that we think is more interesting. All righty. So let's go into our big news. Mike, I knew I was walking into a little bit of your domain here, so uh, so I got prepared. I hope you, I hope you're ready. Um, last I think week, I, I think I am. Last week, I think you don't know what's about to hit you, frankly. Last week, Scott Brinker with Jason Baldwin from WP, WPP released um, a really cool paper. I now understand why, like every day for like three weeks, Scott was sharing some new illustration of something to get feedback. And I'm like, okay, what, 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 what's he doing? What's he doing? Uh, now we know MarTech 2030, five trends in marketing technology for the decade of the augmented marketer. So uh, we'll, we'll get into the meat of it. We're going to go through each of the five trends. Um, but, but before we get in there, Mike, what was your, uh, what was your initial, what was your initial takeaway? What'd you think? Um, well, I, to, to, to be completely transparent, I kind of just previewed it cause it's, it, it's, it's pretty long. Um, overall, I, I, I think it's very, very well put together. And I think it goes into partially some of the arguments that we've had in the past around marketers and under, you know, marketers that have technical skill sets. Um, and I think this this kind of helped outline a little bit of that um, is the, is really the wave of the future. Really think we're going. Okay, I know. Well, no, I know I mean, what I'm, you. Were... I'm just I'm just saying, like we've we've had this argument for, and you've you've definitely come along. Now I'm not saying you you certainly have your creative marketers, and I've come along. You you, you, you have. I'll tell you, early in the paper, he quotes us, I, uh, CEO of Microsoft. I'm not, I can't pronounce his name. I'm not going to. Satya Nadella. There you go. Satya Nadella. 
Uh, in Microsoft's Q3 2020 earnings call, he said, we have seen two years worth of digital transformation in two months. I think that really uh, sums up a lot of, of what's going on. Um, so uh, he, he, he talks a little bit um, about MarTech's law. MarTech's law is that technically, um, technology changes quickly while organizations change relatively slowly. Now he added, but a cataclysmic event can trigger more rapid adaptation. Um, and he shows that. So he shows like this market change up to shrink the, the gap between um, the rate of growth of technology's capabilities versus the rate of, of an organization's capability. Um, and we'll share that image um, in, the, in the show notes. Um, well, I'll, get, I'll get Scott's permission. Um, to do that. Um, if not, we'll definitely have the link to the document so you can see it. But um, do, that's my first question. Do you buy that? Have, have organizations changed? Have they shrunk the, the gap between technology capabilities and organization capabilities? With, without question. See, I don't think so. I don't, I, I, I think the problem is I, I, what I like about Mar Martech's law is organizations change relatively slowly. I don't think they change relatively slowly because it's an option. I think they change relatively slowly because humans change relatively slowly. Right, right. I would agree. Right. So, so a cataclysmic event, it, it, it forces a lot of change on you, but I don't know that you've actually changed. I, th I think that's where there's like just a tremendous, I mean, heck, we're still struggling with the, with the cataclysmic change away from fossil fuels. You know, we're still arguing about, um, you know, clean coal. For the record, there's no such thing as clean coal. Um, we're arguing about, you know, you know that there's so much about society that, that's fought there. Heck, and again, I said we're, we're, gonna, we're not gonna talk about the election, but, you know, the, the win in the second debate was that Joe Biden said, and I always laugh because they say politicians all lie all the time. Why won't they tell the truth? And Joe Biden said, yes, I'm going to, we're going to transition away from fossil fuels. And that was like a, see, see, he's going to, right. We haven't even, we haven't even accepted that change, right? Has, has this, has this really changed organizations or are we just kind of fish being forced to swim in a different river. Well, I mean, there, there's there's absolutely some of that, and I, I love that analogy: fish being forced to swim in a different river. But I mean, organizations have had to have absolutely. It's not just organizations; it's it, it's human beings have had to adapt so rapidly. And I mean, we had Megan on, and you talk, we, we talked quite a bit about that, like just from, from an exhaustion standpoint, like we've, we've had to move so quickly in so many different directions to specifically adapt to what's going on. And a big part of that is we need to all, we've all been forced to adopt more technology in our lives in order to do our jobs. So, so I'll share with you why I don't think that there's that, that the change is anywhere near that much, and and, and there's actually more disruption on it. Um, I I think we had a huge huge miss. I, I thought when when we went to video schooling, when everyone had to go home, I was like, that is going to change education forever because they're going to be forced to adapt to asynchronous learning. Yet they didn't. They made no change whatsoever. We're, we're back in school and kids are sitting in Zoom classrooms as if there was no difference than being in a regular classroom and no progress that I'm aware of. I know there are some upstarts that are, that are planning this, but again, structurally, organizationally, we were, we were forced to make a change. And what did we do? We said, okay, we have to do this. So we're gonna do it like we're at home. I see. If if you watch, oh, okay. oh, that, adapting. That's, that's right, and that, that that that's certainly fair. But I mean, let's let's not even get your kids are grown. Let's not even get started on this asynchronous well, learning bullshit because we're not back in school, and it, it, it quite frankly, but, it does not. We are going to lose a generation behind it. So, but but you, but but the thing is, the thing that would have been interesting is if you had done asynchronous learning with live facilitated components to, to the asynchronous learning, all of a sudden you would have been able to adapt to different learning styles at a mass scale. 
right? Look, look at this whole move to virtual selling, right? Reps have been forced to use Zoom. How do we use Zoom? We use Zoom the same damn way as if we were sitting across from each other. There, there hasn't been that fundamental change, even though every every ounce is 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 pushing to that. So I just I I, I get what what he's saying, and actually this really gets to what my overall read of the of of the um, of the paper is the book paper. I don't know. It's fifty some pages. So can can fifty some pages be a paper? Um, a thesis. Can it be an article? Yeah. Um, so I love Scott. I think Scott's brilliant. I think this is a brilliant Oh, without document. a doubt. Yeah. I think without everybody should read it. My issue, and you're going to see this come along through, and this is where we're, this is where we're going to have some fun debates because you're more in the Scott Brinker camp on about what, I, what I'm about to talk about. My, my issue with this paper is it's a very Pollyanna. My, my takeaway, it was very Pollyanna-ish. It was very, very, very positive. It was, it was very accentuating the positive. It did bring up some issues and some concerns um, that are going to come, but but we'll get into more of those details. And again, that's where, um, like, I haven't seen people fundamentally change their playbook. Um, we talked about it with, you know, the closest we've seen a virtual event actually adapt to to a situation was was inbound, but it was still pretty damn close to just trying to make it this, like, it was, okay, we'll record the, the prepared presentation, but we're still going to deliver it, sync, you know, at, at a it was, a, it, was an, it was an advanced live webinar is what, what right you know really and, and and so I'm just saying and again that's not a, that's not a slight on no 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 I totally agree totally agree okay so that, that's gonna be it. so so here's trend number one man and there's nothing that he could have done that would have like got me stoked up I got my red pen out um, the no code citizen creator right so that's trend number one um, and and re re real quickly, I'll go, over, I'll, I'll go over the five trends. The five trends are no-code citizen creators, platforms, networks, and marketplaces, the, grant, the great app explosion from big data to big ops, and harmonizing humans and machine. Now, I will give him credit. The single best explanation of no-code um, is the subhead of this. 50 years ago, if you wanted to deliver a slide presentation, you needed a specialized professional to create it for you. Now how many people create slides with PowerPoint, you know, like PowerPoint's the ultimate no code app. Google sheets. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, Spreadsheet is that, well, you've, you've got to write formulas, things along those lines, but. So, so, so he, he, he refers to this as, but, but, but they are all in the spirit of the citizen creator revolution. And that's, so like, I think that right now, somewhere re working its way up the hype part, of, of the Gartner hype cycle is no code. Oh, without, without, without question, without right. question. Because you know what's amazed me about, about so much of no code applications? How much code I need, <laughs> right? So they tell me Zapier is no code. Okay, I guess I get technically it's not, but it's not like, you know, having to map stuff out, it, it's, it's pretty close, right? You know, it's, right. it's not PowerPoint, right? Um, yeah, if you want to do anything meaningful with it, 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 it it's it's going to take some some real technical chops. It's the same thing, like, hey, uh, the CMS of HubSpot, super, super simple. You want to throw up just a simple, easy website in a couple hours and you've got all your creatives, you're done. That's another example of kind of no code. So, but you want to do anything fancy, change fonts, move stuff around, like, okay, start getting into a little bit of CSS here and, and fiddling around with that. Right. So, so my, my thing about, about no code is, first off, everyone's talking about it like it's this new thing. Right. And, and what I loved about the PowerPoint example is like, that's the ultimate, right? PowerPoint's been around for how long? I mean, I, I, I used it in the early 1990s. Right, and and it was less code than most no code that that you know that's getting all the so a it's not new, um and and what's its impact going to be? I think its impact is going to be evolutionary. Now I do agree with him that that like it, it's interesting. Everybody hates PowerPoint today. Have you noticed that everybody hates PowerPoint, and 
and um, I'm actually going to be doing um, a, a, a podcast on one of the other on one of the other podcasts. I'm on the spot. The the subject's going to be ditch the deck, and I'm like, can we stop saying ditch the deck? Right? We st- we talk about decks like they're bad things, like you know, they're not meant for humans. Um, and then I want to know why do we watch moving pictures? Right? Why do we want photos? Right. So, so we want to get rid of the visual aid, right? We want to, we, we want to embark one sense, right? Now I agree that decks are bad. You know, what was better about 50 years ago, the decks that were done 50 years ago on average were far, far better decks than the decks that are done today. Yeah, because anybody can do, anybody can create them. So, right. Yeah. Right. So, so there's a really interesting segment in the piece where he says, no code doesn't mean no experts. This raises the discomforting question of whether we will still need experts at all. In short, yes, most no code citizen creator tools address needs that are being served by specialists because the time and cost such expert production required couldn't be justified for relatively smaller, simple use cases. Such use cases would be overserved by such specialists like firing a bazooka to rid a picnic of a mosquito. And so, yeah, so, so one problem is someone jumps on and creates a whole deck for something that could have been answered in 13 seconds, um, right? And, and, and so I think one of the big things that's, that's happening, and this is where we're not hitting, I think, the key components. And Mike, I think you'll agree with me on this. This is another excerpt from the paper. No code, no code tools enable decentralized self-service capabilities to marketing teams avoiding the bottlenecks of centralized of a centralized bureau. Now, the way that's written, like uh, celebrate. Sounds fantastic. Yeah. But there's a flip side to it. Because it's a fine, fine line between freedom and anarchy. Right. And, and, and so it, I mean, I used to joke around that, you know, every sales organization talks about the deck, right? The deck, everybody, the deck. And, and we started auditing sales content. And here's what we found. There was one, it was a 1.5 X factor or R factor or whatever, number of reps times 1.5 equal the minimum numbers of versions of the one deck absolutely i used i used to get in so much trouble because i would just be moving i would i made my i'd I'd get like 15 different presentations and i'd be like i really like that side put that in here like that side then i'd go to qbr or or the yearly conference they'd be like mike we want you to do your presentation and i'd get in front of the whole sales team i do my presentation then afterwards management's like dude where the fuck did you get all this? That, where did that come from? That, it was great, but that's well, not what we told you to say. By the way, let, let, let's also talk about salespeople aren't taking stuff just from the other decks or material that the company's putting together. They're I'm like, putting my own, right. Yeah, they're, 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 they own. see something their competitor does. like, yeah, yeah, hey man, I like that. And, and before you know it, I, I saw one deck I showed it to the management team. They're like, we don't sell that. <laughs> like literally, we don't, okay. And, and so- you know, we, we, we talk about centralization and we talk about bottlenecks as only being bad. It goes back again into that, into that friction as only being bad. You, you and I have talked about this before. You know that I have kind of the three levels of, of value creation. You know, so, so first we have value exploration, right? So, so you have value, which is really value creation, right? Then you yep. have value exploitation. So value creation is you create something new, it's brand new to the world. The, the problem with value creation is it's really unstable. Then you move to a value exploitation, which is you're now in that standardized place. And as much as people say, I like new stuff, no, no one, you know, no mainstream market likes new stuff. You need stable things. You need it to work the same way tomorrow. If it's always changing, you die. But then the third level is value exploitation, where now all you're doing is just extracting value because you can. And I'm seeing this happen. Like I, I believe this is what is actually one of the underlying threats of capitalism. I think it's one of the underlying threats of democracy right now. And that is in a pre, especially pre-technology world, there was a cost of exploit of, of, of um, extraction. There was a there was a cost of exploitation. So you had to, if you were going to extract value, you would have to extract meaningful value to justify the cost of that. 
you know, if you were going to make a trade in the stock market, there was a cost to the trade, like a meaningful cost to the trade. So you weren't going to go in and out of a trade to, to take advantage of a 10 cent move because it would cost you, you know, a buck 50. Cost you too to much. Right, 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 right. Yep. Well, now it costs you nothing. So, you, so there's little like the vast majority of trading that takes place on the market is driven by people that are just trying to pick up pennies on the trade, right? Which, which have been proven to, to hurt the underlying um, company, hurt the underlying investor. There's no creation being taken from it. And so what's happened is it becomes really, really easy for me just to extract more and more. And so, you know, those forces, because, you know, costs higher up in the chain forced us to slow down and think about it. We talked about it with email last week or a couple of weeks ago. Right. If, yep. if I had to pay to send an email, I would stop and think before I sent it. But since it's free and easy, I send out a shitty email because I go, what's the cost? Well, the cost is you get shut down. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so as this shit gets so much easier and we put more and more in the hands of the individual. Yeah, there's don't get me wrong. There's a lot of really good stuff about that. But what's a company going to do? Remember, you can't create brand if you don't have consistency, right? Where is that centralized coordination going to come from? What's your thought on that? Well, so, well, I'll, I'll spin it a little bit on you. I, I do, again, I love that concept of um, centralization versus anarchy. And I think there's, there's definitely a place in the middle. But if you think about like marketing marketing departments within an organization as we become more and more decentralized from IT, IT used to hold the keys to the kingdom, which was core IP, core intellectual property. Now that it, you've, you've got, you know, everything decentralized and we'll talk about marketing specifically marketing owns a major piece or core, or whether it's marketing ops, rev ops, sales ops, they own a core piece of the IP of every business. And they probably don't think about it that way, but every time somebody comes to me and says, oh, we just want to connect this to HubSpot CRM or that to HubSpot CRM or this or that or this or that, I, I think to myself, well, they're going to have access to my core IP, which is my customer list, you know, how much we're charging people, all that, I don't think a lot of that, and this goes into the anarchy of MarTech, I don't think a lot of that, especially with small, medium-sized businesses, it certainly does on the enterprise because we, we sell into the enterprise and we sell to the small and medium businesses. On the enterprise, we get, we go through a lot of scrutiny. Nine times out of 10 in the small and medium-sized business, hold on, sure, just connect. Hold on. You get a lot of scrutiny because you sell you sell top down. You know who doesn't get a lot of scrutiny? Canva doesn't get a lot of scrutiny. Right, right, right. The whole the whole aspect of product led growth is designed to avoid the scrutiny. Right, freemium don't need to get approval or hey it's fifteen dollars a month. Like I, I was on I was in an industry conference speaking about new tools and one of the tools was was Slack. So we did some research in advance of it, and you know the the industry basically said no we don't use Slack. Nope, no one here uses Slack. No one uses Slack. Well, I mean, and then we had other interviews with people who had just set up their own free Slacks and they're, you know, it's like, hey, I got news for you guys. You're, you're using Slack. You, you use Slack, right? We, we, had one, we had one senior executive said, no, as a matter of fact, in our, in our manual, it specifically states you do not, you know, Slack is named that you're not allowed to use it. And we said, look, we're not going to tell you who because that would be wrong for the research that we did. You can tell someone not to use Slack. They're they're using Slack, right? Yep. Um, and and that opens up all kinds of exposure. So so again, there's a really good side for that. But but now, what blissfully said one uh, blissfully had research. I think is one third of of apps, one third of licenses have no owner anymore, because whoever got it isn't even there anymore. It isn't even there, right? Right? I mean, you and, think about so, that. That's a, I mean, who was the you know who made SaaS popular? Salesforce. How did they start in the market? They went and found a small team in a big company and said, "Hey, 
director, you should put your sales reps forecasts in my system. And, um, and we're going to make your life so much easier to track all of this stuff. And then that director went and told the other director of the, you know, Midwest, Hey, how are you getting the, those fancy reports and all that, man, I use this product called Salesforce. And then the Midwest director got caught by the VP of sales and said, what, where is this, all this data coming from? It's in this thing called Salesforce. Well, what, what do they do? And then the next thing you know, it bubbled itself up into the organization and, you know, ultimately became a part of it. But that's a really good point. Yeah. So, so again, I think that like, and by the way, I, we don't need to talk about, you should read the document to, to learn yeah. all of the positives of it. But this opens up a question of who's going to manage, who's going to coordinate, who's going to orchestrate or, or how are you going to orchestrate? All right. Trend two platforms, networks and marketplaces or previous era business thrive through change, value chain, supply chain, distribution chains. Linear flows that produce and deliver goods and services, blah, 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 blah. Um, the advantage that, you know, now, now we're moving to these platforms, um, networks, and, uh, and, and marketplaces. I really, where I want to spend our time is on marketplaces because I think that's a really interesting um, perspective. Our friend Pete Caputo said that, um, tweeted the other day that the best distribution channel for software companies is other software companies. And he was basically referring to um, marketplaces. So um, thoughts, your, your thoughts on, well, we talked about platforms in a previous podcast. So go to that, um, Hannah, make sure you put the podcast link to that podcast in the show notes. I think we talked plenty about platforms. Um, as core, as your core, as your, as your, yeah, as your core operating system is the platform. That's that's what we talked about uh, in the last. So, so what's your take on marketplaces? Marketplaces, and just so his definition, marketplaces match producers and consumers in a particular market, brokering discovery, evaluations, transaction, and service delivery. Example: I am Airbnb, uh, I, AdWords, App Store, Etsy, Fiverr. In the Martech, it, it, because of where we sit, I, I'm a massive fan of marketplaces. I think. Emerging companies. I, I I agree with everything Pete said. That's all you. That's all you got for me. Yeah, I mean, it, well, I mean, there's other distribution channels, but marketplaces are are, are I think a. Okay, so you like can be core can, so can be like core to your business. Okay, I'm sorry, we're not. This podcast is geared to the people who are using MarTech, not to the people who are selling MarTech. Right. Right. right? So how do you feel about marketplaces as a user? I personally, I like them because there's some discoverability there. Um, And it makes it like, hey, I'm trying to solve this problem. Let me go see if there's something in the marketplace that exists, because if HubSpot or Apple has approved this, I feel more comfortable making the decision um, because they're my core operate, they're, they're my core operating system and they must have gone through some type of blessing. Now, those marketplaces can certainly get abused. Like so let me give you an reviews, example. All that kind of stuff, but let me give you an example. Ahead. There's a company called Apple. Yeah. They make a platform called iPhones. Yeah. They have a marketplace called the App Store. I know. They've done the curation and they've made it really easy for you for who your search should be. What was that I curation did not know based that. on? <laughs> what was their curation based on? It's based off of my, uh, probably my research. No. It's based on a $12 billion check that Google writes to Apple uh, every right, year. Right. Yeah. So there's that part. Correct. <laughs> there's that part. Yes. So, so here's my, so I, so here's something, here's a theme that's going to come through today. So, okay. So, okay. So here, here, there are certainly marketplaces that are pay to play and I'm not huge fans. To, uh, I'm not a huge fan of those. I'll give you, Hey, look, I'll be completely transparent. People always ask, why do you charge more for Marketo? Mike, why do you charge? It's the same software that you're providing. Because guess what? I gotta pay Marketo to play in their to, to play in their ecosystem. They take a cut of mine every single time. They just put their hand up. Oh, we saw you connected another Marketo account. Give me more money. HubSpot doesn't have that. HubSpot is not a pay-to-play. HubSpot is more of, hey, we're gonna go find the best of breed. Well, this isn't about HubSpot. No, I I, I get that. But so I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a, a, a let me ask you a question. Okay. Do you think that's always gonna be the case? 
No, I think at some point they'll, they'll look to monetize it, one hundred percent. Right, and 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 without, so without 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 question they will. Absolutely. So it's an interesting game about what marketplaces are, and 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 here's the thing that I was going to bring because it's going to come up to bear in a couple of other places. We have um, we've had twenty plus years of of technology go through. I think it's gone through multiple revolutions. I don't think it's been a single revolution in the last twenty years in a virtually zero regulation environment. This has been the wild, wild west. If you're a tech company in the United States, you can do whatever the fuck you want to do. Literally, literally. And, and so things have happened. I mean, we haven't had regulations since 10 years before the iPhone came to bear. Right. So, uh, right. So let me give another real life example here. So, we were building a, a, a app for Gmail, a specific app for Gmail. Google came to us and said, hey, if you want to build this for just straight Gmail users, or if you want to build it for G Suite, which is you know the business suite of, of Google, you can go ahead and do that. But if you want to do something that's more broad-based and go after Gmail users, at first, you have to pay us $75,000 as a startup yep. to go through an audit just so that you can access the data that I own on Mike Donnelly. Even though you're Mike Donnelly, I own data on you. And if you want to connect an app to look at that oh, data. We're going to get to that one too. It, it, yeah. it's just, and, and the Googles and the Facebooks, they are just building these massive moats around our data well and they're also using the current policies that are in place and i don't want to make this a political discussion they're using the current policies in place to to actually stifle innovation from other companies gdpr and ccpa i hate to say it while while they have good intentions they stifle the shit out of innovation from small hold that hold that we'll come to that that'll be a great argument later um now, there's a great document, there's a great um, piece on page 18 of the document, platforms, partitions, permissions, perception, permission, preparation, principles, passion. God bless Scott for coming up with eight things that start with P. <laughs> um, what, what this is all doing is, again, making it so much easier to get things in, you know, get, get apps into your platform, et cetera. Um, I'm going to bring the same point up here. We're making it so easy. The marketplace makes it so easy to buy the app, do we go through the steps to actually make sure that all the steps are taken so that it works the way we're supposed to work? You know, one of the advantages of when I had to spend a million dollars to put IT on, you know, on premises, we made sure we knew what we were doing before we spent that million dollars. How many people put something in there, it's sitting there, it's half done, um, and it ends up creating more friction than it, than it solves. Again, it's a wonderful opportunity. The other question I have about marketplaces is I think we're going to be dealing with a, with the equivalent of a net neutrality, right? Someone, something, and you're not going to like this, but but it is going to come in. We have to regulate it because yep. because you're not going to have 50 marketplaces. And if we had 50 marketplaces, it would be more insane than than trying to find what 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 you're looking for individually. So like I love these trends, but I think what's not being taken into consideration is the the issues that emerge because of these trends and the impact that they have on those trends. So let's go to the next one. Uh, I mean, one more case on the marketplaces. My son loves playing Fortnite. Apple locked Epic Games out of. Yeah. It, like, again, these are the, the pay to play marketplaces, I think are like. Well, no, but hold on well, a second. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Well, I'm, you're providing the platform. I get it. Like you're, you're doing you the investment pay for the, the platform. It, Mike, here's the problem. If you don't pay for it, you're the product. But I might be paying, I, I already bought an iPhone or an iPad. Why can't I play Fortnite on it? You can play Fortnite on it. No, no, you can't. Not well, the new version. Okay, be, hold on. Well, I know you, I know so you, I, play, don't like, I know you don't play Fortnite. I don't, <laughs> I don't do like I, the Fortnite. What I don't like about the Fortnite example was that Fortnite specifically took an action so that they could sue Apple. They specifically yeah. took an action to force no, Apple. Right, to right, yeah, but but right. hold on a second. So I have Comcast. Why can't I watch um, Fox 
uh, not I, I was gonna say Fox Sports, but I don't even want to say Fox. You know, the, there 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 comes into a contract negotiation HBO and Comcast, and so for two days you don't get access to HBO. Yep. You got you got to pay for it, right? Um, now the issue is in the cable world, there's a degree of regulation. The problem in the world of Apple, the world of Google, and the world of those, there's no regulation. Uh, I, I got know, two players, right. no regulation. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Just, I, there absolutely should be some regulation on on on, on big tech. There, with, okay. without question. Okay, so the third one is the third trend is the great app explosion. That scares me because there's already been since since Scott launched the the Martech landscape a five thousand two hundred thirty three percent increase in the number of applications from uh, two thousand eleven to two thousand twenty. Holy cow! Um, what do you think about the explosion of apps? I think it goes into what we talked a little bit about last week, which is the attention economy. I mean, the as, as well, even though it gives me ch- a lot of choice and a lot of solutions, in a lot of instances, it, it actually benefits big tech again. Oh, we're going to circle to this and uh, that's going to be the ending. That, that, so I'm going to tell you a it, funny story. It, 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 it comes back. It, it, it bene- all the, the app explosion actually benefits big tech more than it does the, the, the developers of the apps. So, so um, mutual funds came into existence because the stock market was overly complicated. And so you could buy, instead of choosing a full portfolio of stocks, you could choose a mutual fund that would manage the stocks for you. It took about 50 years, but after about 50 years, there were more mutual funds than stocks. Yeah. So so the marketplace designed to simplify the market became more complicated than the market it was simplifying, right? That's So I want to know, when does the app of coordinated apps get released? There's your opportunity, right? Because that's coming, right? And, and and this goes to like principle number one: the business process has to drive the technology. And and you know when there was more friction in technology, you had to think through the business process before you jumped into the technology. You know, I, I thought I thought that Christopher O'Donnell did a great job of of talking about the the angel side of product led growth. Right. Hey, you know what? Before we even spend any time really thinking about it, let's get in there. Let's play with it. Let's make sure we understand it. Does it even fit what we want? Then we can then we can decide how serious do we want to get about this. Now that infers a level of understanding and expertise upon the user to be able to make that judgment. Right. But but I get that. And there's definitely advantage there. The trouble is it also makes it really, really, really easy to just skip past defining what the business process is. And yeah. again, before you know it, you, you you shot for freedom and what you got was chaos and anarchy. Yep. Right. And, and, and so I want to know, again, who is managing this? How are organizations managing this? And I have a theory at the end that I'll share where, where I think that, that actually scares me a little bit in terms of where this is going. Okay. I love that. I love trend four from big data to big ops. This is brilliant. This was, I don't, it, it, whoever, it sounds like something Scott would say. So I'm going to credit it to him. This is brilliant. It's been said that data is the new new oil. You've heard that, right? Oh, yeah. A better analogy is that data is the new oil paint. I thought that was brilliant. Oil paints range from $4 to $400 a tube, depending upon data itself has no, data by itself has value too, which we can observe through prices and data marketplaces. But it's by integrating the data into the design and delivery of remarkable customer experiences that marketers create orders of magnitude greater uh, orders of magnitude greater value for their organizations, right? And so it's the idea of we talked about big data, but now it's trans- transitioning to big ops. How are you applying that data? Thoughts. So I, I, I think that puts it. I think his comment puts it very succinctly. I mean, the, now let's let's give a little bit of credit where credit is due. If you look back a few years ago, when everybody was like, even not even a few years ago, I mean, when I was selling data storage, we were talking about big data. But the, 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 the challenge years ago was storing 
data became unbelievably complex and doing anything with it just because we didn't have the compute that we have today was also very, very complex and very, very costly. Whereas we've come a long way. I mean, when we mapped the human genome, we had the biggest supercomputer in the free world. We had the biggest supercomputer in the free world that could nap, that was literally an entire data center. Yep. And you could now do that on a beefed up MacBook Pro. Like we've talked about, we talked about the future of capitalism, democracy, and the human genome. And we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're halfway so through the document. Now we're at a point where we can actually extrapolate value from all that data that we've stored because we now have compute, we have pipelines that allow data pipelines that allow us to do it. Um, so, anyways, so I, 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 I agree with his comment. No, so so what you're hitting on? I don't know if that's what you're going and, after. And 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 here, no, that is it's perfect. It's perfect. I'm just this is this is exciting, and we're running out of time because we do want to get to a question today. Um, on page 36, he gives a great um, picture of of the progression of data value. And Mike, what you just described is what he would refer to as the data intelligence side of the equation. At the bottom, you have raw data, processed data, augmented data, information, knowledge, and insight. What I think is brilliant is that's balanced by data reflexes, stored, reported, analyzed, decisioned, automated, right? And I think what's happening, A, I think that we've got an imbalance between our data intelligence because big data has gotten so far ahead of ops and how we're using data. My takeaway from this section, and I think it's worth reading the document for this, data that doesn't support purposeful action is just a waste. What, just a waste. Absolutely. I have always said, if you're going to do anything with data, you've got to make it actionable. Like in now, order for data to be valuable. Well, and, and it's, it's be, well to me, again, or it's, either actionable or, or some level of insight. But let's it's got to be connected to action. Right. Connected right, 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 right. Now, see, this is why I don't agree with your statement about, you know, marketers that don't have technical this or that. Um, because I think the technical this or that is A, becoming a commodity and B, I think a whole lot of the technical is, is going to ultimately be taken over by AI and it's going to be automated itself. He has as one of his takeaways, organizations that excel at distilling data into insights and activating it in real time. Distilling data into insights, data intelligence, activating it into real time in their operations that data reflexes will achieve competitive advantage. Those are two distinctly different worlds and mindsets, right? And, 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 and that's where the brilliance of it is. Um, and, and, and I think that's where we have to, you know, how are we distilling data into actionable insights is, is you know, kind of what you were just saying. The other thing that we're going to get into is this whole thing about data. Again, we've been in the wild, wild west of data. Now, you know, GDPR, CCPA, they may not be the right things, but I got to tell you, I got a problem. When Google tells me they own my data, you know what I tell Google? Fuck you. Right. And, and, and this is where I, I, have, have you seen Social Dilemma? Yeah, it did. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, it, it is the attention I mean, economy. It, I mean, so, it, it, so, with, but, with one piece. But what, you know, again, you know, we talked about this in, you know, in terms of auto tuning like a year ago. You know, the number of tech companies that I talk to that, that, that are like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like I'm working with them on go-to-market strategy. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we don't need to make money on this. We, you know, if we break even there, we're fine. Because if we can get this, the access to the data, that we're, we'll have a data play. What? Oh, yeah, yeah. In this industry, the, 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 the analysts in this industry, they're starved. They don't have any real good data on this. We'd be able to do this. We'd be able to package it up, monetize it, and you know, and, and right. That there's going to be regulation coming in about data. And, and I'll tell you, the problem is because you've got this ridiculous, you know, two camps of wild West and, and whatever the opposite is, you're going to get more GDPR and more CCPA because you know what, what we're doing with data, we are going to destroy humanity with, with how we're auto tuning that, that stuff. And, 
And I, we got to factor that in. Like there's going to be a cost to managing data, right? Here I, again, do, I, I mean, it, it, I will never, ever, ever argue that it, it's you, like we, I, I mean, I can, I can, I'd be happy to be completely transparent in, in historical conversations with, with regards to, to data and how my thought process has evolved. Whereas Eric's, my co-founder's thought process has always been the same. Um, and he finally led me down to the right. He led me down the right path. See, he knew what I you could say. do with data, right? Because he was doing it. Right. Right. You know, right. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and it does come down to like, hey, let's just, just don't be a, don't be a fucking asshole. Like, and Google is assholes. Facebook is assholes. But, Twitter but the is problem assholes. Is, the problem is there's too much money in being an asshole I, and right, no cost. See, see, the yep. governor used to be what you said 10 years ago, 15 years ago, just being able to store the data was the problem. The cost to store the data was an issue, right? So here again, it wasn't about exploitation because the cost, like if, if you look at what Facebook does, Facebook does makes thousands of millions of decisions a day to make Brilliant. micro pennies. But because they make millions of things a day that have zero cost to them, it, it's lucrative. If there was a cost to storage, and I'm not suggesting we put a tax on, actually, I'm not not suggesting we put a tax on storage, but right, that cost put a governor on, okay, how are we going to use data? You know, is the juice worth the squeeze, et cetera? As those costs have come down to zero, you know, capitalism has turned to capital extraction, right? And, and, yep. and, 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 and we're the producer. Already. So here, here, here I'll, I'll leave this one because I mean, this is a real life, this is the true real life thing that happened. I, Apple bought a hundred million dollars worth of storage from the company I was working at. And I was talking to the rep and I was like, Dude, that's an incredible deal. hundred million bucks in, in, in storage. What, what are they going to do with it? He goes, nothing. I was like, what do you mean they're not going to do anything with it? He goes, well, they want to record every single Siri request from iPhones. This is when Siri first came out, but they don't know what they're going to do with it yet. They just want the, they just want the data. I'm like, so they're going to spend a hundred million dollars on something that they don't even know what they're going to do with. Yeah. But the data is going to be super valuable at one point, one day, Mike, like, and so then the next thing, you know, like a quarter later, you said they filled it up. They bought another 50 million from them and then mm -hmm. another 30 million from them. And then, our company got acquired, but um, right. And and how much does that storage cost now? Thousands of dollars. I'd probably be uh, hundred grand, two hundred grand, <laughs> right? Three hundred grand. Okay. Yeah. So um, order of magnitude uh, different. Okay. Harmonizing humans and machines. By the way, I agree with all of these trends. Like I'm in total agreement. Yeah. Greater automation and AI assistance will give marketers more time and new tools to focus on customers' creativity and innovation. Uh, two skills that marketers will develop in this decade, model making and model breaking. That sounds wonderful. It really does. It, honest to God, sounds wonderful. It's the one observation that I just disagree with. Because you know what? I need 10 people to manage Marketo. I've got one creative director I've got 10 people managing the various things that go in that I need, I need five the input, people. The, the, the inputs and the outputs of Marketo. Right. right. Okay. Right. But, yep. but I'm just saying I got 10 people doing things that, that automation and AI assistance is going to take over. I've got five people doing SEO analysis every day and AI is going to make them all not necessary. And it's going to free them up to focus on customers, creativity, and innovation, except I don't need 10 creative directors. So I don't have 10 roles. Right. Right. And, and, and what's more, that creative director, I'm actually You're also not going to have the budget for those 10 roles because you're going to have potentially switched your cost basis or, from. But, but let's also say but, that the cost. But, okay. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. Fine. We'll Here, take, here's take cost thing. out of the equation. Here's um, another thing. You know what? Everybody, there are fewer people capable of being a CEO of a company than being a director of a company. 
I'm sorry. Yep. I hate to say that. That's true. Right. Just because I'm really good at implementation doesn't mean I'm going to be a great creative director. Right. Th th this whole idea of model breaking and model making that, that, that operates like it's a linear skill. Like, okay, well, I'm just going to go from this to being a model maker or a model breaker. And, and I get it absolutely opens that door, but there are fewer seats and it's a much, much harder level. Are, are we preparing our, 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 the labor force today? Right. There, uh, right. And there, but there's also the part that, that is going to be, this is where I, I agree with you. Or I, I disagree with the statement. There's also the human element, which is the self-preservation. See, see, so Perry Nightingale, um, Senior Vice President of Creative AI with WPP, creativity can fall into two categories, information-based and expression-based. Information-based uses existing ideas, finds a new way, right? Using a, using a tool in, in a new way, right? Humans, were really good at that. AI is better. Um, Expression-based creativity is being able to think of something entirely new. This often stems from our lived experience, our culture and upbringing, influencing what and how we think about the world. This is also known as art. Are we preparing the labor force for this world? Because I'll tell you, I'm reading day after day after day of people bitching about college, that it's not preparing me for the job. Like this is liberal arts if there ever was liberal arts. And you wanna talk about a study that has like nothing to do with the real world? Right, we're moving more and more to vacation. We're moving more and more to, towards the technical training of, right? Employers, I want marketing graduates to come out knowing how to use marketing automation tools and set up web. Okay, okay. and then we're like, okay, well now you got to make art. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna learn how to do that when they're thirty seven. <laughs> right. It, this has nothing to do with, with, with what they're writing about in the paper, but the, like, these are the implications that come in, you know, here again, what, what makes, you know, what, what is the impact of regulation going to be? What's going to happen when, when marketplaces get regulated? What's going to happen when we, you know what, we're going to, there's going to be a tax on data storage. I, I, like I know Andrew Yang's for a tax on robots. Right. Um, this gets also like on, on page 42, he's got a, another great graph that kind of shows the, the evolution of automation and AI. Uh, you know, it, it, I, I mean, attacks on data storage, that, that's just, see, I, I would fight that tooth and nail. I know you know you why? Would. I know you would. Because the, the assholes at Amazon are just going to up their prices and then people like me are going to pay for it. Amazon's not going to be the one that's eating that bill or Microsoft or Google. Well, so this, okay. So let's, cause, cause we are running out of time and we are going to do, yeah. it's going to be an extra long episode. Sorry, everybody. I hope you're enjoying it. If not play it at a faster speed, skip ahead, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so here's where the problem is, right? I agree with all these trends, right? And I'll tell you why this needs to happen. So, for, so first off, you know how you fix that? You fix that, you break out, you break Amazon up. Right. Yep. Amazon can go ahead and take that tax and pass it on to you and just keep their ridiculous. Pro Did I read, t I don't know if this is true, but it's probably pretty damn close that if, if, if Amazon gave a bonus to every employee of $105,000, Jeff Bezos and, and Jeff Bezos paid for it, he'd be worth what he was before the pandemic. That's how much wealth, that's how much his net worth has increased. Right. Here's what's happening. Fuck right? Jeff. <laughs> for, 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 for thousands of years, for, for, for thousands of years, if we look at economic growth, economic um, processes, they followed a Gaussian distribution. For those of you that don't know what Gaussian distribution is, bell curve. It was an equal distribution, right? It was a standard deviation, right? Yeah, sure, the rich did better, but actually, if you take a look at the economic participation from like 19... Uh, like 1922 to 1972, while the rich got richer from a percentage base, the middle class and the and, and the lower class actually gained a higher percentage of economic growth, of 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 you know not, not to mention the impact that that has on your life, right? Than than the wealthiest did. But we're moving from Gaussian distributions to Pareto distributions. What does that mean? It means that we're all sitting at a giant poker table. Like, I hope everyone gets that. We're all sitting at a giant poker table. And there's an old phrase in poker. 
the, the, the bad players are called the fish. And there's an old phrase in poker that says, if you don't know who the fish is, it's you. Right? If you don't know who the weakest player is, it's you. Right? And what happens in poker is when, when the table's full, there's actually a pretty fair distribution. A couple people lose a lot of money. Most people are at the break even. More people are making money than losing money. Um, I think that's a poker table of eight. Once the first two are out, the distribution changes and the players fall out as it goes to, as it gets distributed to one or two players. By the way, the Pareto distribution is 20%, get 80%, right? And we're actually seeing more than that. So that's, that goes back to your point earlier. All this, it sounds so good, right? It sounds so good because it's freeing us and look at what I can do and this app revolution. And like, if it wasn't for the app revolution, you wouldn't, you, you'd be selling data storage. Yeah. Right. Right. But you said it, this is so much better for big tech. But if you go back to the 1900s, we saw this, we saw this with the railroads, right? Life has always been about content and distribution. And by the way, distribution beats content every day of the week, twice on Sunday. Right. Right. And, and, and what did we do in the, in the 1900s? We broke the motherfuckers up, right? We broke them up. And as I like what Scott Galloway says about this. And we look at antitrust as a penalty. We should look at antitrust as a celebration. Antitrust as a celebration. Is a that, that's actually, that is a great, that is a Con- fantastic. Congratulations, fantastic Jeff comment. fucking Bezos. You have built three monopolies. And as your reward, we're going to break your ass up. Yep. Right. And by the way, look at what happened economically. Look at, I'll tell you, I was blown away by this, man, because I was a Reagan conservative. I was a dyed in the wool Reagan conservative, laugher curve, lower progressive tax rates. Except, do you know what's happened since we've, since our, our, we've had less and less progressive tax rates? Economic growth has slowed. Has slowed. Through, and, 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 now, yep. Now, now at the at the highest one percent and twenty percent, insane, right? But I got news for the people that are at the lower end of the twenty percent who are living high on the hog. Guess what? You're about to be the fish if we're not careful. And 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 the point of it is, so I know you're against the data tax. See, uh, and I'm not saying that I I have not thought about no, it. No, no, I, I get, I, I get, it. right, okay. no, right. Thought. So please don't. Like, but I'm not I had never, I've never thought about it either until you said something, and I'm like, oh my god, but, like but I, the can't, problem I can't is, even imagine what they, what it would do to us. Well, well, you know why you're actually for it because you 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 have you're on the record of saying I wish you did have to pay a, a a price to send an email. Yeah, right. That's all it is. Right. Um. Because you know what it taxes? It's a friction. It's friction. It slows you down. It slows things down. It brings, we've got to do something. Like we, we talk about capitalism as this great wealth creating vehicle, right? But, but we forget that, that it worked when it was a gazing and distribution because that's what bell curves do. We had a bell curve that shifted slowly to the right. So more and more people benefit towards more and more, Right. And we're moving deeper and deeper into Pareto distributions, right? Which are having winners and losers. And by the way, if you look historically, when that happens, there's one solution and it ain't good for anybody, right? And, and what we're missing is, so like, like the aspect of, of the tax, whatever it is, if you don't address the competitiveness, and I know there's a bunch of people that are listening saying that I, I'm going to be dubbed a socialist now. Except my argument is, and it, you know what's socialist? Facebook, Google, Apple. That's socialism. Those are monopolies. Yeah. Right. Right. You, you, you want, you want a phone, you want a smartphone. You're, you're on Google. Oh no, I have a Samsung phone. No, no, you have a Google phone. <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I mean? Right? Operating you got, system. You got two Google. choices, right? Right. And, and, and so you've got, you've got this whole battle that, you know, Fortnite, this and that. We've got to bring back the competitiveness, right? What happened when we broke up the bells? We wouldn't have cell phones if we hadn't broken up AT&T. That's an interesting, yep. Uh, you know what I'm there, saying? There we, would have been, there, we would have there, cell phones. There, there wouldn't be a, a, nearly but, the incentive to, but, to innovate. Um, by the way, let, let, let's not forget 
that AT&T had like two thirds of the innovations that we talked about at AT&T that they looked at and said, no, no, we're, we don't, you know, Kodak, which had a monopoly around photo. They, they invented the digital camera. They had the digital right. camera yep. before right. anyone else yep. did. They were like, no, what, A, what's that going to be? And B, That'll that disrupt ourselves. Right? That That'll break, disrupt ourselves. Right? right. Break them up. Like, hey, congratulations. Take a look what happens. If you look at the total shareholder value of, of what happened to AT&T post-breakup, it's like, oh my God, it's the smartest thing that, that ever happened. It opened up innovation. Right. And, and so now if we start looking about it, if we because because what's happening right now, if you take these five trends, which I totally agree with, um, you better be the best fucking poker player at the table. Right. Because because guess what? What's happening because there is no cost for exploitation or extraction. What Amazon can do be, because you have these reinforcing loops every time. Amazon gets advantage, it reinforces their advantage, which then reinforces their advantage, which then reinforces their advantage. And so you're this young startup that's running really fast going, hey, well, that's great. That's great. And it's wonderful, except you're never going to catch up to, to Amazon in this existing system, right? And we say, well, that's capitalism. No, that's not capitalism. That's capitalism in the last 25 years. And this whole entire world has come in, you know, into existence and, and I'm telling you, we need to make an adjustment or you look at this, which again, I want to emphasize, I so agree with everything in it, but we're not training people or preparing people or, you know, you know, who's doing it? HubSpot's doing it, right? HubSpot's doing it. Google's doing it. Amazon's doing it, right? But you, that, that, Billion dollar company, they're not doing it, right? You, you, you know what I mean? It, it's, right, right. So, so, so we and 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 you know what? We need to get back to gazing and distribution. We've got to start looking at the whole. Jim Rohn had it best. Jim Rohn used to talk about taxes. He used to say, you know, taxes. Don't complain about taxes. He said because the government, and he and he said specifically the U.S. government. That's the golden goose. And if I have to pay the goose to lay golden eggs, I'll pay the goose to lay the golden eggs. And he said. Now, does the goose eat too much? Yeah, the goose eats too much. <laughs> the goose is fat. But yeah. you know what? It lays golden eggs. Yeah. And if the goose wants to be fat to lay golden eggs, I'll let the goose be fat to lay golden eggs. Right? But, but what's happened is we've gone more and more to shorter and shorter term thinking. You know, Alan Greenspan said he built his entire life based on the idea that people would not make decisions they would ultimately destroy them. And he realized he was wrong. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so this, you know, if you understand the difference between the, and the long-term impact between gauging distribution and Pareto distribution and where the move to efficiency, because by the way, guys, monopolies, they're the most efficient things out there. Innovation is not efficient, right? It's not efficient. And, and the more efficient that you get, the fewer and fewer and fewer winners that you have, right? And, 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 and something doesn't survive at some point there. And that's why I think they're, they're, you know, I think that this document is so far beyond, in case you can't tell, is so far beyond just what does this mean for the marketer? But I would say to the marketer, in all seriousness, and I don't think enough attention was given to this, are you really ready for this? Yeah, and I would say- No, absolutely. Are you prepared? Yeah, are you-, right. are you are you preparing yourself for this? Now, the other thing that's not in here, and this is where this is where ultimately I do not agree with this for 2030. What's not in here is there will be a black swan event. There will be a black swan event. And I think the black swan event is going to be around regulation. You can already see it happening, right? You already see it happening. Yep. You, you've got you've got the fights going on. Yeah, yeah. It looks like, but you know. It, it's already moved. There's going to be regulation. But by the way, these guys are so much bigger than anything out there. You know, and, and in so many ways, it's like happened overnight. The impact of regulation, the impact of, of, of data privacy, those two things. Remember, this is an industry that has operated in the wild, wild west. Right. And For a so, long time. Right. And, and, and so we don't, you know, it's been operating because we're like, oh, it's only tech. Oh, it's only tech. Oh, it's only tech. Oh, isn't that cute? It's only tech. And now it's like, oh, wait, oh, shit. 
right? And and we're paying a lot of attention. Let's go back to that quote that we started off with, such a good, um, um, and our, you know, two years of, 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 of digital transformation in two months, right? COVID has been the great accelerator. It's going to accelerate the, it's, it's going to accelerate the, uh, the, um, the regulatory side or to the, towards those other points. But I would say as an organization, this is a great document. Like if I'm Amazon, if I'm Procter and Gamble, I'm loving this. This is like, I'm, I'm slobbering. Um, if I'm a small mid-market company, this is a really different world. It's a really different world. And you need to be asking you, yourself, what are you doing organizationally for this? And, and marketers and salespeople, you look at this, Gartner came out with another document. Maybe we, 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 you and I, I mean, not who knew four, three years ago when we started this podcast, I mean, you and I have been talking about this whole shift of like what, what it, this, the whole growth patterns of the Amazons and the big techs of the world and how they're just, they're just crushing the, I mean, they're, they're truly crushing the American dream and they make, they make some of their employees feel like they're living the American dream. Like Amazon's HQ2 is being built from three miles from my house. Our housing prices have skyrocketed. They're going to pay everybody that works there 150 grand a year or a little bit more. Make them feel good about themselves. Meanwhile, the, 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 the people in the in the C-suite are just you know raking in the dough and well and it, and, it, and, and and let's wait till we more... find out what happens with uh, what is it Prop 22 in California, right? You know, when, when, uh, when Uber says, well, we can't, we, you can't expect us to treat our employees like employees. We wouldn't, we, it would put us out of business. It's too expensive. Right. Guess what? You know, we're, 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 we're you know, they're subsidizing their, their businesses on the back of, you know, I mean, that it's, there, there is a, a wake up component to it. So anyways, uh, I guess we're not going to have a question after all. We took the whole time on, on this event. I hope people, you know what I think this is leave that as a leave that as a right leave leave that as a teaser though what's the uh, what's the question and then we'll just leave it there. Um, well, we got to do we got to do our takeaways. We are going to do the last segment. I know I know you're still new to this whole show. Oh yeah, um, that's right. I got to remember the format. Uh, Doug, did you get a new haircut? Um, I cut my oh, haircut. But... You got there. Yeah. Um, we're trying to embrace inbound more, but how do we manage the transition for our sales team? That's the question. That we're, so we'll answer that question. So you know Ooh, what? I like that. You know what? Next next podcast, we're gonna do. We're gonna talk about Gartner's report on the future of sales. Since we talked so much about marketing Martech today, we'll do Gartner's report on the future of sales. It's a lot shorter than this one, so we'll be able to cover it faster. <laughs> and we'll 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 answer that question. Already, we are gonna go to our takeaways. So Mike. What, what's your takeaway today? You always start me with the takeaways. Let's go to you first. No, 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 man. This is the format. The format is you do the takeaway, then I give my takeaway. We can change it up this week. My takeaway, no, I mean, I, it's, it, read that. It's a fantastic read. My takeaway? Read, 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 read Brinker's document, yes. My takeaway? Yep. Vote. I like it. There you go. I should have said that. Vote. That's the best takeaway you've ever had, Doug. There you go. It's probably the shortest too. Right. Can't get much shorter than that. Four letters, one no. syllable. Four letters, one syllable. All right, Doug. all right, okay. all right. We'll let Mr. McConaughey wrap that up. Professor McConaughey, wrap us up. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Black Line Podcast. Please, if you like the podcast, please give us a review. Um, Mike and I are having a lot of fun with this. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know what questions you have. Um, until next time, please go out and vote.